honestly, I don't even want to interrupt what's happening in this room, hearing stories today of people impacted just by being in the room when we get to worship Jesus like that. And worship is not limited to songs that we sing, but it is pretty powerful and pretty lifting to the human spirit when you can just be in an environment like this where people are lifting up the name of Jesus. And I just want to remind us that what's happening here goes so far beyond a worship service. You know, there are people who, because they have been in moments like the one we were just having, have decided not to end their life because they found hope in Jesus. You know, you carry people sometimes when your worship is going up to God through song. And I'm just, I think I'm blown away today by two different realities. Number one is the power of what God is doing in moments that might seem mundane. And the other is how awful of a liar the enemy really is. He does not fight fair. He never speaks truth. His only language is lies. And there are people in this room who all day long, the battle in your mind has been a war between lies that could not be further from what God thinks and says about you. And there's a switch that flips when we worship like we just were saying, Christ, be magnified. Because it allows you to put in full focus what's really true. And what's really true about you tonight is that God has made up his mind about you if you are in Christ. What's really true about you is that your value could not be greater in the sight of the one who crafted you from the very beginning. What's true about you tonight is not once, not once, have you ever prayed or lifted up a song to God and the first thought in his mind was the last sin you committed? Never, like not in your whole life. Even if almost every time that's what happened to your mind when you went to do it, that was never in his mind. Because you're made in his image, but he's not like you. His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And you know what's so great about that verse in Isaiah 55? Is that it's not about the mysterious sovereignty of God. That verse is about how ridiculously merciful God is. It's not like his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We don't really understand God, like he's just different. It's actually about God extending mercy toward a group of people that doesn't deserve it and God stopping and going, hey, just so you know, I know they don't deserve it and my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how much higher my ways are than your ways and how much higher my thoughts are than your thoughts. It's the same expanse and language that's used in the Psalms when it says, as far as the east is from the west, so how far God has removed our transgressions from us. The truth about your God tonight is that when he thinks of you, he thinks some high things. Because what Jesus has accomplished on your behalf is something you could never accomplish on your own. And I just want us, as we open the word of God tonight, to get a glimpse of what's true about who God is. And I want some chains to be broken in the presence of God. Every time we get together in this room, God's got a present miracle that can happen. The Holy Spirit shows up and people are all of a sudden, boom, awaken to new realities, and I can't believe that today the person he chose to do that to was me. I was the one who needed the sermon that I'm gonna preach tonight the most, and nothing I just said to you was something that I've said all day long because I'm just believing and sensing that God has something so new, and so I hope you're tuned in. I hope you're ready to open the word of God together. I hope you're ready to open your hands because I totally skipped over the offering just to jump straight into the sermon. You guys know what bringing time's all about. You know how to bring your tithe through Venmo and you know how to do it online and you know how to leave this space and be faithful to do it. So I'll just let you do that on your own time and jump straight into the word of God. We've been in a series called Make Disciples. Last week we launched into the Great Commission talking about when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we said that the great commission of Jesus is not just the mission we're supposed to live out with our lives, it's actually God's mechanism for discipling us in the process. So if you missed this last week, here it is. God's primary way to make you a disciple of Jesus is for you to make disciples of Jesus. This is a shocker. 
And too many times we think about discipleship in the church and we go, oh, we're gonna go have a Bible study, we're gonna go have a prayer time, we're gonna go get in our community group, and all those things are great, but here's the thing. The fastest way to grow in your discipleship to Jesus is to make an effort to live on mission and make another disciple of Jesus. Because if you do that, you'll be in the word of God. You'll be prayerful, you'll be worshipful. You'll be living a life of humble dependence on who God is. And it starts with our neighbors, it starts with the people who live in the same building as us, but it extends to all nations. Because the great commission is not a general command to go make a bunch of disciples. It's a specific command to go to every people group on the planet and make all nations represented in the throne room of God. And Jesus is gonna be faithful to complete it, but he includes us in it. So much I could go back to a week ago and say, but we gotta jump into this week. This week is called Fueled by the Spirit. Fueled by the Spirit. Can you look at somebody next to you and say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Say it with some belief behind it. We're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit tonight, who's already so present in this room, by the way. The word for spirit in the Old Testament of your Bible is the word ruah. And ruah, when you say it, it's almost like breathing. It, it's like you inhale and exhale while you, while you say it because the word spirit in the Old Testament means breath or wind. We did an entire series about a year ago called Fresh Wind talking about how the Holy Spirit breathes new life into our souls when we open ourselves up to the flow of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I want to include this message in a sermon series called Make Disciples is because we have to clarify that Jesus' command for you to go and make disciples is completely impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. Totally impossible. So I always create this really interesting mood when I officiate weddings and I get to the vows because I stop right before I do the vows and I look at the bride and the groom and I go, hey, you're about to make promises to each other. You're about to say word for word vows and then it's on, like covenant completed, this is it. Here we go. And I stop and I say, so you know everything you're about to promise the other person is totally impossible in your own strength? And it kind of makes the whole room go, wait, what? Is that why marriage is so on the decline and things are a struggle for so many? And I'm like, yeah, this is impossible. Everything you're promising this other person right now, totally impossible if you leave here and try to do this in your own strength. But the scriptures say a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And I say that this marriage is about a husband and a wife, but it's also about the Holy Spirit empowering to do in and through you what you could never do on your own. And here's the thing about the Great Commission. The Great Commission is completely impossible if you do not understand that it begins with being fueled by the Spirit to even live it out in the first place. I wanna show you this in the scriptures. If you brought your Bible to the 6 p.m., hold it up, hold it up. Bible attendance has been phenomenal today. I don't know if it was the extra hour of sleep or what, but people are just, they got their Bibles in the air, and I love it. If you would like to remove yourself from the single-person Bible drill, turn with me to Acts chapter one. Everybody else, keep them in the air. Okay, I'm noticing an improvement. We got, not that the goal is to like not be in the Bible drill, but y'all, more people, or maybe more people are dropping out of it, I don't know. Turn with me to Acts chapter one. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. This is the best place to meet them. It's the best place. You'd rather meet them here than anywhere else in Auburn, Alabama, I promise you that. We just hear story after story of marriages that began with a glance. And there's another, I'm dead serious, y'all. You think, you, think, you think it's just funny and just a moment, but God is actually using it. He's breathing on it, spirit power. Acts chapter one, this is written by Luke. Luke and Acts are actually one book with two different volumes in it, and I'll show you this from the very beginning. Acts chapter one, verse one, if you're there, say I'm there. Luke says, in my former book, Theophilus, great name, anybody future names, you call him Theo, short for Theophilus, I think it's awesome. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So that is the gospel of Luke. If you read Luke chapter one, you will read a letter that Luke starts by saying, hey, I put together an orderly account of the things that have transpired about Jesus of Nazareth, and I'm writing to you, most excellent Theophilus. A lot of scholars think Theophilus was either the one who was paying for Luke to put this work together, because when Luke put this gospel together, this wasn't just a guy's journal entry. This included eyewitness interviews. This included trading accounts with other people who are corroborating the same stories. Luke was actually a physician, and so he's deep into the details. And he says, I'm writing a second part of the book to you, 
most excellent Theophilus. I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach in the first one until the day he was taken up to heaven. So think Great Commission. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Stop right there. This is why we believe the resurrection. We don't believe Jesus rose from the dead because we're in the Bible belt and that's a popular belief or this is a religion that's had a bunch of effect on the framing of our cultural narrative. We believe Jesus rose from the dead because over a period of 40 days, he physically, bodily appeared and gave many convincing proofs to over 500 people. And if you've been coming here for a while, you know I love to remind you that when we go to heaven, we're gonna be physically in a real place with real bodies living real lives. Part of the reason why I make that argument every time is because the New Testament teaches it explicitly and most Christians grow up believing that they're gonna float in the sky for all of eternity. Or they grow up going to funerals and saying things like heaven gained another angel. I, I always wanna be sensitive to people who lost people, but I, it just makes my skin crawl because I'm going, no, 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 you have like explicit teachings. Heaven did not gain an angel if they were in Christ. Heaven gained a human. And if you were to die right now, your spirit would go be with heaven while your body goes into the ground. But here's what's gonna happen when Jesus returns. Your body is reunited with your spirit and you are resurrected from the dead the same way Jesus, the firstborn from among the dead, was resurrected. This is basic 1 Corinthians chapter 15 truth, that we are going to be resurrected forever in physical bodies, and I wanna remind us today that one, this is headed our way and all of eternity is in the balance of what we're talking about tonight, but two, that our hope is not in just some kind of futile thinking or some random thing that a guy wrote down 2,000 years ago. We have a real hope that is an anchor for our souls. And it's a better hope than what a lot of you have been hearing from your most agnostic and atheistic professors for so long. Because it sounds so smart when they say it. It sounds so intelligent. But if you follow the level of logic it takes to claim there is no knowledge of God, or at least if there is a God, we cannot have any knowledge of who he is. If you follow that thinking and that road long enough, all you arrive at is meaninglessness and nothingness. All you arrive at is the end of a road that goes, this just all happened randomly. And I would argue it takes more faith to believe that than it does to believe that there is an intricate, involved designer who made himself known and demonstrated his power and invites humanity into the story. Jesus is risen. You can be risen in him one day by faith in him. But what's he doing once he rises from the dead? He's doing what he was doing while he was on earth, speaking about the kingdom of God. Somehow, by the time many of you graduate, I'm going to convince you that Jesus' gospel message was not, I came down to live a perfect life and die a sinner's death for you so that you could go to vacation Bible school or youth camp, whichever one you get to first, and repeat a prayer saying that you believed in me. And then from then on, kind of get involved in the church and just be a good person. You'll go to heaven one day with the eternal assurance that you receive from that one moment that you committed your life to God. That is not Jesus' gospel message. Jesus' gospel message is a message of kingdom every time. And kingdom is, he's the king, we're invited to live in it forever, but until then, that kingdom is spreading on planet Earth through the church, through hearts and minds that are submitted to him. Of course he's walking around proclaiming the kingdom. That's his message. And so our message when we get in front of you is not, hey, come ascribe to some beliefs that we have. Our message is you get to live the life you were created to live in the kingdom of God right here and right now, and Jesus is better than any other option you have for your life. Let's go to verse four. It says this, on one occasion, while he was eating with them. Oh, such good news. That is good news. Do you see it? When you are resurrected and you go to heaven, you will eat. <laughs> Isn't that good? Physical food. And I've just been dreaming today of what a heavenly version is going to be like of some of the things that we eat. Can you all imagine what Chili's is gonna be like in heaven? <laughs> if it's this good on earth, I mean, and I, I I've kind of become the poster boy of Chili's, which I don't mind, it's great, but it's a, 
Like, it, it's not that great, okay? Let's just admit that. The reason why I preach so passionately about Chili's is because we don't have one. And some of you know this about, even in relationships, you don't really know what you got until it's gone. And so we lost Chili's, and that was a tough, I am being so serious right now. That's a tough loss, because tonight, you're lucky this gathering's at six. If it was at seven, by the time you leave, the choices you have of where you're gonna go after a gathering like this are so limited. But if you lived in a city that had a Chili's, we could all go. And some of you could get a quesadilla explosion salad. Others of you could get chicken crispers. Others of you could get honey chipotle chicken crispers. Corn on the cob, fries, broccoli, cinnamon apples, you choose. Yes, I worked there in college. <laughs> but then it's like, I'm feeling more of Italian. Great, Cajun chicken pasta is super underrated. Like, tell me, and, and oh, let's get chips and salsa and Southwest egg rolls as we wait for that other stuff to come out. You, tell me another place you can do that at 9.30 at night. That, that's why I'm leaning in and calling on a generation to rise, I'm just kidding, to rise up and champion the cause of Chili's returning to Auburn. You're gonna eat food in heaven. It's gonna be awesome. I feel like if we can convince people that the place that they're gonna live forever is so much better than floating on clouds playing harps that they might actually be excited about what Jesus came to offer them. He gave this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I want you to go into Jerusalem. I want you to wait. There's a gift coming to you that my father promised. You will be baptized by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, John, John the Baptist, baptized with water. That was a baptism of repentance. But what I've come to offer you now that I've risen from the dead is a baptism with power. Some people would say a baptism with fire. That's what Jesus will go on to say in the next few verses. Let's go ahead and read this. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So picture this scene. Jesus says, you're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And the disciples' response is, are you gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still, even after he raises, he's raised from the dead, they're still totally missing the point. The disciples give me so much hope for being a follower of Jesus. Because all they do is miss the point. Almost every time, until they receive the Holy Spirit, then they become bold and end up with a lot of clarity. That's an interesting thing I haven't brought up all day. The difference between the disciples while they're with Jesus in bodily form and then who they become once they receive the Holy Spirit, there's a stark contrast there. They become totally different people. It's almost like it's better that he's not here and the Spirit is here. Oh yeah, that's right, he said that. So Jesus goes, you will receive Power. It's not for you to know the dates and times that the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, the disciples are going, are we gonna defeat the Romans like we thought you were gonna do originally? And Jesus goes, no. My kingdom physically coming to the earth is still to come, and the Father's gonna set that time in motion. But you will receive power. The word power there is the word dunamis. It's where we get the English word dynamite. Jesus goes, there's something that's gonna enter into you and you're gonna be baptized into this power. And this is where I wanna stop and make everyone super uncomfortable and tell you, we're gonna talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit tonight. And now everybody's like, oh man, so glad I came out for this one. Depending on where you grew up in church, you're, you have mixed feelings about this. But when Jesus brings this up, he talks about receiving power with a purpose. And for too long, when we've talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we've talked about doing these crazy supernatural things and disconnected it from the original purpose that it was actually put into place for. You'll receive the Holy Spirit for what reason? To be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The purpose of the Holy Spirit indwelling the life of a believer is to empower them to do what they could never do on their own. And by the way, the word baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm not describing something different than the one baptism that's talked about in the book of, the, in the book of Ephesians. So like next Sunday, Baptism Sunday, 
We're gonna dunk people underwater celebrating that they have joined their lives with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But dunking them underwater doesn't have any special or significant power to it. It's just a celebration that what Jesus done has been accomplished on their behalf from start to finish. So good news for you tonight. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that you receive at the moment you are saved, even if you feel nothing emotionally. I love that we sang a song tonight that said, I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. You are a generation that is formed by feelings. You're all about what feels right in a given moment. The great thing about the Holy Spirit going out is yes, emotions come and go, but it's not about in a moment experiencing a sensation or some kind of feeling on your back or even demonstrating supernaturally that you can do something that someone else can't. It's about having faith in Jesus and trusting that his power has filled you up to make you capable of doing what you can't do on your own. I'll get into that more in just one second. Let's finish the passage. It says, after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I love when details in the Bible are so strange that you know they couldn't have been made up. They had to actually happen that Jesus goes back into heaven and the disciples are just frozen, going, I'm not moving. I'm not, I'm, I'm, we're, just, we're just watching him. And, and it says two men wearing white, which we can assume these are angels, just come walking beside them like, hey, you know he's gonna come back one day, but until then, you got work to do. I love the prayer at the end of the book of Revelation, come Lord Jesus. And I believe the church should be leaned in for Jesus to come back. We should want him to come back more than anything. But too often, because of how broken this world is, the church spends all her time looking up into the sky waiting for Jesus to come back instead of realizing that we have a responsibility and work to do before he comes back. And so it's like, you can't just look up forever. Sooner or later, you gotta go and obey what he said and wait for that power to fill you. And so that's what they do. They go back to Jerusalem. And Acts chapter two, we're not gonna get into it verse by verse, but Acts chapter two tells the story of a day called Pentecost. And Pentecost is something that I think is greatly underrated in the story of the New Testament. We celebrate Good Friday, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, and then 40 days later, no one really celebrates or talks about Pentecost that much. And at ACC, we wanna change that because the Holy Spirit coming is a big deal. But I think it's underrated, but it's also totally misunderstood. Because what happens at Pentecost is there's a festival in Jerusalem that people from all nations come from all over the world to be a part of, and the disciples are all together in one place, and it says the Spirit comes and moves like a rushing wind, and everyone is filled up with what is called tongues of fire to be able to speak languages they couldn't otherwise speak. And so people in Jerusalem are hearing the gospel in their own language in a way that there was no way they would have been able to hear it any other way. That's what happens. And so for 2,000 years following that move of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, we have a series of debate and controversy around what does it mean for a Christian to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And where we are in 2021 is on, I think, two sides of different extremes that are equally as harmful. Number one, if you grew up in a more Pentecostal, charismatic church, you could have been taught and probably were taught that you haven't even received the Holy Spirit until you speak in tongues. And let me just say, as your pastor, unless you're visiting, as your pastor, that is not only bad theology, it's straight up harmful. So harmful to be told, hey, you're like a Christian, you believe in Jesus, but you're not like the varsity team. Like, you're, like, uh, like there's non-believers, there's you, and then there's all the spirit-filled believers that have received the Holy Spirit and speak these heavenly languages, they like to call them, on their own time. And, and they've had these encounters with God that you're just, you just don't have enough faith for it. And you can pray to God to receive the gift and you can sit in a room to receive the gift. But until you express that kind of gift, you haven't really received the Holy Spirit. I remember a couple... Um, I think they were in their 80s and they came to our church for a little while. They do not anymore and here's why. Uh, they came up to me at the hotel one week and uh, this woman just grabs me and she goes, God has anointed you 
like a prophet in the Old Testament to preach the gospel in your day. I sense the Holy Spirit all over your life. But she looked at me dead in the eyes and she said, the Holy Spirit will not do in and through you what he wants to do until you speak in tongues. She said that. And I just lovingly hugged her. I was about to say her name. This is kind of a funny name. Um, but, uh, but, but I just looked at her lovingly and I said, I, I know what you're trying to do right now is encourage me. And I know all you want me to do is go deeper in my faith. But I am so committed to being true to the scriptures that I have to tell you, your perspective on how the Holy Spirit goes out is flawed. You do not have a mandate in the Bible to demonstrate that you've received the Holy Spirit by any level of supernatural power on your own part. And, and, and I know that there's good intentions behind this. I know, that there, I know that there is. But I want to tell some of you, you received the Holy Spirit by grace through faith, and that Holy Spirit manifests itself differently every time. The, and you might be like, well, why are they teaching that? Because they're doing something that's called proof texting. It's when you take one story and flesh it out in ways. It, it's something manipulative that, that pastors and teachers actually do all the time. And, and you can take one passage and apply it to people's lives in a way that is not actually accurate. And you can go, hey, if, that, if that's what happened in Acts 2, that's what's supposed to happen for every believer. And you go, hold, who said that? Who said that what happened at Pentecost has to be replicated for every believer when they receive the Holy Spirit? No one. We, we just assumed. That's right. You assumed. Because what you read about in the New Testament of the Bible is the Holy Spirit going out in various different ways at different times to different people and not going out one time, but going out in numerous different ways to fill believers for different purposes. So I do believe that at salvation, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And I also believe that speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift. That, don't let this weird you out, some people in our church have that gift. And it's awesome. But some people receive the Holy Spirit and receive a different gift. Some people have a gift of prophecy. Some people have a gift of teaching. Some people have a gift of generosity. Some people have the gift of hospitality. We don't think of having people over at your home as a gift of the Holy Spirit, but it's actually listed as one in Paul's writings. So there's so many different gifts of the Holy Spirit and manifestations. Do not fall captive to that belief. And I would like for, don't, I always tell you guys this, don't become hypercritical of everyone's theology everywhere that you go. Please don't become one of those guys or girls. They're almost always guys. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, when you leave ACC and you go where you're gonna go moving forward, I would encourage you to not join a church that teaches a second baptism of the Holy Spirit as manifested by speaking in tongues. Not, not only because that's a harmful belief, but also because they've just shown their cards that this is not their first and foremost priority. But stop right there, because some of you are like, okay, well, on the other side of this, is there any supernatural manifestation, power of the Holy Spirit, you better believe there is. So if you don't think like that, which is most of us, there's a few of us in the room who, my mom's one of them, grew up in churches where, you, where you're literally told, speak in tongues or you do not know God. And my mom faked it. And she told me how harmful it was to her development growing up along with snakes that were involved in a lot of different things. On the other side, though, and this is where most of us fall, there's the temptation to look at people who believe things like that and go, yeah, I don't, I don't buy into that weird stuff. I don't buy into that supernatural stuff. I, don't, I just like to stick to the Bible, just me and Jesus. Well, here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is pretty crazy. And he can empower you to do crazy stuff. God still does miracles. He still moves in powerful ways. And so on the one side, you got that harmful belief. But I believe an equal harmful belief is, listen, we receive the Holy Spirit when we're saved. We don't need to pursue any deeper level of gifts of the Holy Spirit or mystical experiences. And I would say you're equally as off. Because to be filled by the Holy Spirit is not just something that happens one time when you get saved. It's something that you're in need of daily to walk in the power that was given to you. Here's what I mean. If I, this is the best illustration I've heard a pastor do. If I had two balloons on stage and one of them was fully inflated, one was deflated, and I asked you which one is full of air, you would say both of them. They're, they're both full of air, but one of them's way more full than the other one. That's the difference between a spirit-fueled Christian and an empty 
Christian. Still Holy Spirit power on the inside, but the wind, the breath, hasn't filled you up to overflow. So here's how it works in the New Testament of the Bible. The Holy Spirit goes out and is available to fill believers, but it is up to the believer how much they are willing to allow the Holy Spirit to come and breathe new life on the inside of them. And you make room for the Holy Spirit, you make room for surrender, and all bets are off. I have no idea how to tell you what exactly he's going to empower you to do, but I know it's real. And I know that from within you, God wants to give you a fresh awakening of who Jesus is on a daily basis. He did this for the disciples. I never knew this until I actually read the New Testament, but Pentecost isn't even the first time the Holy Spirit goes out to the disciples. Go, go backward in your Bible, just a couple of chapters, to John chapter 20. This is when Jesus rose from the dead. I wanna read you this. It says this. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he, what? Breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What is happening? This is before Pentecost, and Jesus is going, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit goes out and fills believers in a powerful way in Acts chapter two. If you keep reading the book of Acts, it happens again in Acts chapter four, when with boldness they testified to the power of God, and it says that they were, they were so filled with the Holy Spirit during a prayer time that they had that the building they were in shook. That's why I'm arguing, this is not a one-time filling this is a continual pursuit of the power of God that's available to you on a daily basis if you're open and willing enough to step into it. Yeah. And see, I believe this needs to become the pursuit of your life because I talk to so many of you and Gage talks to so many of you who tell me that you're exhausted, that you're like running on empty in your life spiritually and you're like, I, I'm just at the end of myself, I'm so depleted, I'm so exhausted. And I actually think the problem is not that you're exhausted and empty, the problem is that you're continuing to live off fuel that was intended for a previous season. And you were filled up then, and you're trying to use that fuel to run your life spiritually now, and it's not working. Everything's getting all messed up. And you don't realize it, but what you actually need is to trade in what happened then for something that can happen today. I'll give you an example. It's not gonna surprise you, but I've broken several lawnmowers in my short career as a dad and husband, several. Outdoorsy stuff, not my thing, neither are power tools, but I loved mowing the lawn, y'all. I loved it. I say it past tense, because sadly, RIP, somebody else does it now. But, um, and that's only because I need to rest that one day a week that I, I take off to be with my family. I don't need to be mowing the lawn. It's a long story. But, but we had this lawn mower that, um, I'm, I actually enjoy mowing the lawn, and I believe there's no more of like a manly dad feeling than the smell of fresh cut grass after a long summer day, and you go inside, and you're like, I am a man. That was awesome. Look at that green grass court. She's like, I don't care. And I'm like, well, I do. It's awesome. But um, I didn't know, and nobody taught me this stuff growing up. My dad wasn't a big camper or do-it-yourself guy. We're the kind of people who, we don't fix stuff, we break it and call people to come fix it. And so I, I, this lawnmower, I filled it up with gas, and I did not know that you're not supposed to leave gas in a lawnmower over the winter months. Did anybody else know this? Like, if you, you're like, yes, <laughs> that's why our lawnmowers work. Um, but at this time of year, October, November, everybody kind of stops mowing their lawn and they get it back out in March, April. Well, I had put a full tank of gas into my lawnmower right before and then I came back out in March, April and it had been months without using it and I went to crank it up and I'm like, this is not working. And I look in and I'm like, I'm, okay, I'm probably out of gas and I'm like, no, this thing is totally full of gas. So I did what any man does in that situation. You just crank it harder. Like you just keep pulling harder and harder to the degree that this thing starts firing up, but instead of running the way it's supposed to run, there's literally purple smoke coming out of this lawnmower. I mean, I'm like, my lawnmower decided to do drugs during the winter season. Like, it is about to blow up in this moment. And so I take it where you should take your lawnmower when it breaks to Ace Hardware. And I start asking the guys, I'm like, what happened? It's got gas, it's got motor oil, whatever that is. And it's got every, like the chains are working, everything's good, and they all, they're all laughing. And they're like, when's the last time you put gas in this? And I was like, oh, last winter. I haven't touched it in months. And they're like, yeah, when, when you do that without putting a preservative in your fuel, your fuel goes bad. And it actually destroys 
the mower instead of empowers it. And this is an imperfect illustration, I know. But some of you are trying to run in your daily life spiritually on things that may have been for another season back there. But today, you're gonna have to flush out what was there and welcome in new fuel from the power of the Holy Spirit. And how you do that is so simple. It's as simple as asking God to fill you once again. This is Jesus teaching on prayer. It's kind of a spinoff of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. You don't gotta turn there, it's Luke 11. He said this, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is a brilliant verse. Jesus is talking about prayer. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, and he uses an illustration. He's like, dads, you know how to give good gifts to your kids, right? Even though you're evil, even though you're stuck in sin, like, you know how to give good gifts. And I've got two daughters, another girl on the way. I get manipulated daily into giving gifts. When all the ladies were at Worthy on Wednesday night, I was taking care of our girls, and Aniston walked up to me. This is how good she is. This is how brilliant. So advanced. She walks up to me, and she goes, Dad, you, you said I could get a mermaid Barbie from Target. We, won't, we weren't even gonna go to Target. And, I'm, and apparently, I promised a specific gift, and I'm like, Aniston, no, I didn't. And she looks right at me and tears up, and she goes, but you promised. And I was like, get in the car. We're going to Target. We're going to Target. I, I get this, and I tell Courtney, I'm like, apparently I promised a mermaid Barbie, and Courtney's like, no you, no, you didn't. She tried the same thing on me, and I said, no, I didn't, and I'm like, okay, well, it's fine. I'm, I'm a father who's stuck in sin and forgetful, and I still know how to give my kids good gifts when they call me on my word, even if I didn't even really say something, and, and Jesus goes, this is how good your heavenly father is. You know how to give good gifts to your kids when they ask? Your father knows how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Put that verse back up there. I wanna just show you something. This is how you read your Bible deeply. Jesus draws a line between fathers and good gifts and your heavenly father and the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus in sort of a subtle, secretive way telling you what you need to be praying for more than anything else in your life. You can ask God about anything. You can bring all your requests to him. Philippians talks about that. You can cast all your anxiety on him. First Peter 5 talks about that. But this is Jesus going, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. When you ask, ask for the Holy Spirit to fill you. He's like telling you the answer. He's telling you, when you get alone with God, you need to be asking for him to fill you. And he doesn't mean one time. He means daily. Because where a believer is willing to ask and go, God, I, I wanna be filled today. I wanna be filled to overflow. I'm tired of pushing through and doing this on empty and I'm tired of living off of what you did in my life back then. I want something so new and fresh that it brings me alive to this day. And I'm not talking about a therapeutic, bad mood to good mood feeling in the presence of God. I'm talking about the lies that you're believing being obliterated by the spirit of truth and you being fully alive to live the life Jesus died and rose for you to live. And I'm so serious about it today. This weekend, I got to preach to middle schoolers and high schoolers for the first time in a long time. And, and things have changed. Like, I'm up there trying to tell jokes, and they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, okay, I'll just, I'll just read this and, and talk about this and stay in my lane. But I've never looked at a group of teenagers that is more numb to everything. And some of you were formed in the world that they were talking about, like, Y'all, your brains were formed in what experts are calling digital Babylon. Like your worldviews were formed with a device that so many of us knew the long-term effects of. Some of you have become so wired technologically that you don't even know how to get excited about anything in your life because you've been so overstimulated for so long. And I was looking at them and going, this is so different, oh wow. If the Holy Spirit doesn't get a hold of your life, you're gonna end up in a pit of depression and want to give up faster than ever before. See, when I was in high school, it was if the Holy Spirit doesn't get a hold of your life, all you're gonna do is chase sex and partying and alcohol and you're gonna get into some really bad habits that you're gonna have to make up for later. You wanna know what world y'all are living in now? If the Holy Spirit doesn't fill you up and bring you new joy, you're gonna wanna take your own life. 
This is like how fast the enemy's been able to shift stuff from just bad behavior to an identity that's shattered and ruined by so many numb feelings toward God and toward everything. And I'm going, you're gonna need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit from the inside out to sustain the days that we're living in. And it's not about making you feel better. It's so that you have something to offer to a world in need. What's this series called? Make Disciples. Why a message about being fueled by the Holy Spirit in a series called Make Disciples? Because if you don't have that, you have nothing to offer them. If I don't get full from the power of the Holy Spirit, I have nothing to give you. If I reach down in human strength for the best of my efforts, the best I can do is emotionally manipulate you for a few minutes. But if by the Spirit, God moves in me, and I unleash that when I get in front of you, then the Holy Spirit can break generational bonds that are holding some of you back. It's night and day different. So all I wanna do, there's so many ways the Holy Spirit can fill you up on the inside out, but all I wanna do tonight is give you a simple framework before you leave this space. It's a three-step process, and it goes like this. Number one is called recognize. Look at somebody next to you and say, you better recognize. You better recognize. The first step of being fueled by the Spirit is noticing when you're not. You gotta learn to recognize when you are not walking in the authority of the Holy Spirit. And, and this is why people spend days, weeks, months, even years without ever sensing the power of the Holy Spirit because they never even notice where they left him. And where they left him was in a competition between two different forces that are fighting for you right now from within that the New Testament calls the flesh and the spirit. You read all through the New Testament of your Bible and you'll read about these two powers that are pulling two different directions and it's the flesh telling you to act like who you used to be and believe the lies that you used to believe and the spirit going, no, you have new life. And these two are competing for the authority of your mind. Watch this in Romans chapter eight. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So we're not talking about recognizing when you're in a bad mood. We're talking about recognizing when the authority of your mind has shifted from the spirit's in charge to I'm in charge. You know how I know when I'm walking according to the flesh? It's when I'm on autopilot and thinking about whatever I want. I'm just responding to what I see on my phone. I'm just responding to what happens in my day. And, and in a really subtle way, I don't even recognize it, but I've actually started to take authority over my thought life. And in so doing that, I've paralyze the Holy Spirit from being able to fill me and I've become filled up with the worst thing you can be filled up with, self. And so here's, here's how you recognize, watch this, you need to write this down. The Holy Spirit breathing life into our souls is directly connected to the Holy Spirit having authority over our minds. When you think, how do I get filled with the Spirit? Do I go in a room and just kind of sit there silently? Or is it a certain collection of scriptures I read? Is it a book that I read? It's mainly about renewing your mind. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. When you hand over the authority of your mind from you being the one who runs it to the Holy Spirit being the one who runs and directs it, you are all of a sudden living in submission to his power. And so some of y'all with your roommates or even if you're married, I've talked to husbands and wives all day about this, you gotta have a system of giving each other permission to recognize when the other one or when the other ones are walking according to the flesh. And this isn't about being judgmental. This isn't about being petty like my wife is sometimes. My wife will literally look at me some mornings and go, oh, hello, flesh. And it's like, didn't know that we were waking up today absent of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's go, let's go get you alone with God right now. No, not like that, but recognizing, wow, you are not who you wanna be right now. And once you recognize it, what do you do? Number two, retreat. Retreat. When you're out of rhythm with the Holy Spirit, powering through in your own strength never works. There always has to be a step back and a step away that recalibrates your mind and heart to be filled with the Spirit once again. This is what Jesus models so well, not that Jesus was in a competition between the flesh and the Spirit, he was not, but why is Jesus always running away to get alone? 
He's getting alone because he realizes the only valuable thing he has to offer to a lost world comes from his communion with his father. And if he loses that, he loses this power source. For us, when we get out of rhythm and we recognize it, even if it's a small retreat, we've gotta create the space to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us again. So some of you are so busy, you're like, I can't just retreat in the middle of my day when I sense that the flesh has taken over my mind. You're right. But you can take a breath and spend five seconds going, Holy Spirit, fill me. Father, please send the Spirit to come and fill me once again, because if I keep running like this, I'm gonna run myself into the ground. And you give yourself the space to fill up on the power of the Holy Spirit. He'll move in a powerful way. So you guys know I get on stage all the time and I hate on retreats. <laughs> I talk about how we go on these retreats and everybody gets pumped up about Jesus and then we come back. And by the way, this spring, we're gonna do the very first ACC college retreat, which is gonna be amazing. That's the, that, didn't know I was announcing that. Didn't plan to, somebody tell Gage, he's not even here. Um, I'm not anti-retreats. I, I actually loved them growing up. And I speak at a lot of them and I see God move in a powerful way. But too many times the pursuit of a retreat is to, is to create this fullness and this filling that's gonna last. It's gonna last this time. We, this year, it's gonna last. No, last year was different. We missed it, but this year, we're gonna keep the fire burning. And I'm just convinced that God's in heaven going, please read the book. The fire is going to burn out. You're not supposed to keep one fire burning the entire time. You're supposed to recognize that in any given day, God is willing to fan into flame the gift of God on the inside of you. So the retreat is not stuck in high school or in moments or at passion conference. The retreat could be five seconds by the Haley Center where you go, God, I can't even walk in there until I ask you, come and fill me anew. I can't even move on with my day if I don't take two steps back and go, God, I need you. Fill me with the Holy Spirit again. And then number three, re-engage, re-engage. The purpose of recognizing and retreating is for you to re-engage. That's spelled correctly, by the way. I don't know why, but at this gathering, and only this gathering, we got like English majors that sit in here and y'all love to just, it's not spelled right. And you said that wrong, even though ethos, pathos, logos, I did say it right, and I looked it up on YouTube and it was right. You can look this word up too, it doesn't need a hyphen, it's right. Some of y'all are like, somebody needs to recognize retreat in the middle of his sermon. But after we retreat, we re-engage. There's something to be said for waiting upon the Lord. The disciples had to wait for the Holy Spirit to go out. You can't force the Holy Spirit. It moves like wind. You wait upon the Lord and he fills you to overflow, but he doesn't do that just so you have a few good feelings. He does that so that you have something to give to a world in need. And when Jesus goes away to be alone with his father, he comes back and he comes back and gives away to the world around him out of the overflow of what he just experienced. Well, what did he experience? We don't know a lot about Jesus' time alone with God. The few moments that we have where the father does speak out loud from heaven to Jesus, he says kind of the same thing. He keeps telling him that he's his son. He gets baptized by John the Baptist. Holy Spirit descends like a dove. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Transfiguration happens, Elijah's there, Moses is there. This is my son, listen to him. There's something about Jesus' time alone with his father that I think was just based on being reminded of how loved he is. My son, my son, my son. You spend time alone and you realize that the power of the Holy Spirit is meant to be the deposit of God on the inside of you, guaranteeing your sonship, by which you cry, Abba, Father. 
So you get alone with God and you get filled up with the knowledge that I am a son, I am chosen, I am set apart. God hasn't given up on me. He actually never will. God hasn't changed his mind about me. God is pursuing me. God is totally and completely in love with me and demonstrated it by the power of the cross. And you receive that love and all of a sudden, you're not walking into your day to the servers around you and the teachers around you and the coworkers around you going, yeah, I'm just depleted and tired. You're walking around going, I know my identity and I got enough to give away to everybody I come into contact with. This is what it means to live fueled by the Spirit. And that is why every single Sunday we recognize, retreat, and re-engage. That is what we are doing right now, y'all. We recognize, hey, if I go too long without gathering with the people of God, I'm gonna become someone I don't wanna be. This is not just about attending a church service. This is for our soul's health. This is our retreat. We're away from the world right now. We are in a room with like-minded people. And I know there's a few people here who don't believe in Jesus, most of us do. We're here in a retreat moment, why? So that we can all leave here and re-engage a world with full hearts, carrying the praise of God. And then next Sunday, we're gonna come back and do it again. And then we're gonna do it again, and we're gonna do it again because this is the rhythm our souls desperately need. You can put your notes away, let's stand up all over this space. Band's gonna come up here. And let's step into this moment of worship together. We created the space tonight just for you to ask God to fill you. I don't know what it looks like in your situation specifically, but I do know in just a few minutes, Tyler's gonna walk on this stage and he's gonna say, go and be the church and go and make disciples. I would love it if you didn't waste the time between now and then, but you just pursued the heart of God. So let me pray over you. Let's make ourselves open. Heavenly Father, I pray in these moments that you would remind your children how loved they are by you. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would seal our identity fully and completely, that you'd fill us up, that no longer will we be living off of fuel from a previous season, but we right here and right now invite you, Holy Spirit, speak truth into our minds. Remind us of who we are in you. Seal our identity in you. Give us more of you. God, I believe we can have as much of you as we are willing to open ourselves up to. So even as we pray right now, we just press in for more. And I admit that today, I settled this morning for enough of you to get by preaching sermons, but God, tonight, I want enough of you to light me on fire for this week. I want enough of you that makes me go home with a face that's radiant from being in the presence of the glory of God. That's what I want tonight. I pray that your people would tell you what they want, that we'd be willing to ask the way a child asks their father, because that's who you are, and that is who we are. We love you, God. We sing to you now. We lift this up. In Jesus' name, amen.